Hey, everybody, it's Tommy Canelli, and welcome back to Before the Lights podcast, the show to find out how those in sports, music, and entertainment made their mark. Joining me today is a three-time NCAA individual national champion, a five-time Olympic veteran. She held the world record in three events, an entrepreneur, a New York Times bestselling author. She's the most decorated U.S. female Olympic athlete with four gold, four silver, and four bronze medals. She won at least one medal in each of the five Olympics she competed in and broke or lowered her own American record in the 50 freestyle 10 times. A fitness and health advocate, a motivational speaker, she spent 26 years on the Olympic stage, a certified bar method instructor and spokesperson for Quaker Oats, Speedo, Toyota, among others. She was a Wilhelmina model and a TV reporter. Born in Beverly Hills, please welcome to the show, Dara Torres. Dara, how are you? I'm good. I didn't realize I had that much of my resume. I almost sound old out of all the years I was doing all that stuff. <laughs> Definitely not old, just experienced. Speaking of that, you have a thing on your website called Be the Exception. And based just off the intro, you can tell that you are an exception to a lot of different things in life. Where does that three-word phrase mean to you? I think it's like really taking yourself yourself one step further and being better than you think you can be. So um, to me, that sort of means be the exception. And, um, you know, in anything I do, whether it was swimming or some TV work I do or whatever it is, I always set goals. So um, it made it easier for me to be... Um, to be more aggressive about trying to get those goals because I'm a goal setter. And I think that's really important in life. I mean, there've been many days that I would want to stay in my bed when my alarm went up at like five 30 in the morning and I'm all comfy and cozy and my nice soft pillow. And last thing I want to do is get up and go swim. And, um, but then that, that goal would kind of come across in my mind. I'm like, well, I'm not going to reach that goal if I sit here. And so you need to be the exception. I agree with that. I, I live out here in Vegas. I'm a runner. So to beat the heat in the summertime, I'll get up at 4.30, 4.45 to go out and run. And sometimes the alarm goes off. And I'm like, do I really? And then, as you say, I'm training for a race. So you climb up and you get two feet out the door and you forget about it after you're out moving. Absolutely. Yeah. For me, it's you forget about the cold water when you dive in to start that first warm up lap. So, um, but you know what, I, I feel like as an athlete, when you have to get up in the morning and you probably know this, like once you get out there and start doing it, your day is so much better. Like you're not so lethargic and just kind of moping around and you had your great run in, or I had my great swim in and you feel good. And you're the rest of your day is ahead of you. Agree. And I have told people this before, there's more hours in the day than you think you just have to get up earlier. Exactly. <laughs> I don't really go by that motto right now. Like my workouts are like 10 a.m. And to me, that's early. So when you hear the Star Spangled Banner play in these days, what does it take you to? I think the last time I heard it was at the Super Bowl. And, um, you know, you, you, you hear it playing and uh, you just kind of get the chills. Like like I sat there and I watched those men on the field, those players and, uh, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, first of all, that's so cool to be having the, the star spangled banner playing and being able to start a game that way. But then I was like, oh my God, those poor guys must be so nervous right now because every time like that star spangled banner would play the national anthem, like you just, you get 
so nervous. And I, I kind of felt for them a little bit. I don't miss that sort of nervous um, butterflies in the stomach feeling, but, you know, it's, I, I'm very patriotic and, um, you know, it's funny because when, when we were at the Olympic games, probably later on in my career, I think they thought a lot of the kids didn't know it. So the national anthem, so they would actually print it out and give it to everyone on the, on the, at least on the swim team. So when you got up there and you started mumbling the words, cause a lot of us do sing to it, um, you know, when you're getting a medal and um, you know, so they, they sort of made it made, the people who didn't know it memorize it. So they wouldn't look like idiots out there, you know, not knowing the national anthem or star spangled banner. So you grew up in a house with five siblings. What was that like in a competitive nature? And what was it like on top of that growing up in Beverly Hills? You know, it's so funny. I was just going through boxes and boxes of, of tapes that are from my childhood. My mom took and even eight millimeters. I just got everything transferred onto USB sticks. So I don't have to keep these boxes in my house anymore. And I was going through them and, you know, it's so funny just, just watching and seeing like at three years old, I was like running first to the slide that goes into the water slide in the pool and getting up there and jumping off. And, you know, so I, I think I don't, you know, parents ask me, they say, how can I get my child more competitive? It's really inside of you. Either you want it or you don't. And it's very hard to teach something like that. So I think I was born with it. It got exasperated being with four older brothers and a younger sister, more so probably the four older brothers. Um, and it was, it just really brought out the competitiveness in me having four older brothers around all the time and wanting to do what they wanted to do. I agree that competition is in you. I, you can be born a leader, but you, I don't think you can be born to compete. Those are two totally right. separate things, at least yes. for me. What age did you start swimming? So my mom had us water safe, um, very young, probably before we even won because we had a pool, a fenced pool in our backyard. Um, so she was always in there with us, giving us little swim lessons, teaching us how to blow bubbles and stuff. But I started competitively on a team when I was about seven or eight years old is, is when I really, um, got into swimming. And did that start the fire for you for competition or was that already there from growing up with your brothers? Are you kidding me? I was like, I had to be the first one done eating at the dinner table. I had to be the first one in the car so I get the front seat. And so no, it 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 I, I think it channeled me more to keep the competitiveness in the pool and not necessarily out in everything that I did. Um, so it kind of leveled out everything in my life, but um I don't think it started in the pool. Okay. Looking back on your whole career and where you're at now and still staying active, what did sport teach you? Oh, wow. You know, I, I look back on sport and I, when I give motivational talks, I talk to parents about this, that, you know, when you're in sport, you learn so many different things, whether it's team sport, individual sport, you learn about hard work. You learn about sacrifice, dedication, time management. Uh, I remember there was, there was a year, maybe about a semester that I wasn't swimming in college. I'd already finished my college eligibility and I really wasn't doing much and my grades dropped and I just didn't want to do anything. And it's just really amazing when you have something like sport in your life, even though you have to try to manage when you do your training 
to when, if you're in school, you know, when you're doing your schoolwork and I'm talking about that because my daughter's a freshman in high school and she plays lacrosse and she really does a good job of, of time management. I, I really think that she didn't really learn that much from me. She learned that from being in a team sport and having to be there on time. And if you're not there on time, you don't get to practice. And so you learn a lot um, through team sport, but, but I think the biggest things would be hard work, dedication, and sacrifice. Speaking of your daughter, more nerves now watching her compete versus when you competed? <laughs> you know, um, not yet. I mean, I definitely get nervous watching her. Uh, you know, it's lacrosse is a more aggressive sport than swimming where you're in your own lane and you get to kind of do your thing. And the only thing you could do is maybe injure yourself if you're not doing something right or a bad shoulder. But with her, it's, it's a more um, uh, physical sport. Uh, and so, um, you know, I just, I actually took a picture of her arm yesterday when I was taking her to practice cause she had bruises all over her arm. I'm like, what is that? I go, is that dirt or what is that? She's like, no, I was up against a senior in lacrosse. What do you expect mom? And I'm like, sorry. <laughs> you know, so, um, but yeah, she, um, she loves it. And, and I definitely do get, get nervous for her. I get nervous for the team, but I haven't quite hit that point yet where it overtakes what I felt being in the Olympic games. For you, was it the love of swimming? or the passion to compete that was higher? That's a great question. I think when I was younger, um, I mean, I always loved swimming, but I think when I was younger, it was more the passion of competing. And then as I would retire thinking I was done and then come back, um, I think it was because I missed the sport so much and loved the sport so much. I think as I got older, my uh, line of thinking shifted from, uh, the competitiveness to it, to the competitiveness and just loving and missing the sport. And I think that's why I did so well when I was older is because I, it wasn't for any other reason except for the love of the sport. And, and I think a lot of people get lost on that when they, when they're doing something their whole entire life and then they retire from it and they decide they want to come back, but they don't do it for the right reasons. Like maybe they do it because they want to get some sponsorship or make money or whatever. I just really miss the sport and love it. And I think that that really helped me um, be the best that I could be at an older age. You attended Westlake School for Girls and played multiple sports, basketball, gymnastics, volleyball, along with swim. Do you think being a multi-sport helped you in the pool and in competition? That's okay. You're just asking some great questions. <laughs> uh, when I talk to parents, um, it's funny because they asked me about like, well, did you do any of the sports? I said, you know what? Co your coaches right now, they're going to hear this are going to hate this because they want you just to focus on the one sport. But I really believe that doing other things can help you with the one sport that you excel at. And so like, for example, um, you know, when I was, uh, in high school, I did, I, 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 I mean, I did gymnastics and I did all these sports, but when I was um, in 10th grade, knowing that in 11th grade, I was going to move away from home and, and just swim and concentrate on trying to make that 84 team in my junior year. Um, I played volleyball and I played basketball because I knew the jumping would help me because the jumping, you know, trying to get a ball or jumping for shots or jumping for a rebound would help me with my starts and my push offs off the wall. So there's always some aspect when you do something else. And plus you don't get bored. If, if you allow yourself to add something else in there and be a little more versatile, you'll actually end up loving your sport more. I agree with you. The, the specialization to sports is where it's at these days. And some kids are directed at a very young age for they're old enough to make a decision for their own, that they're going to participate in one sport. 
And hearing somebody else that is a proponent to playing multi-sports, it helps different muscle groups. It doesn't overextend one set of muscles is what I think everybody should be doing. Yeah, I think so too. I think that's a good point. Uh, you had an unfortunate situation of being bullied. When was this and how did you get past that? Um, so I wouldn't, okay. So it probably wasn't as bad as what other people have gone through. Like, um, you know, I, um, I had an eating disorder in college and, um, you know, I think that there were some people that kind of made fun of it and stuff. And, and so to me, like that was very, very tough and a very difficult situation, but I wasn't bully bullied. Like, I don't know where that came from or whatever, <laughs> but, um, I, I wasn't like bully bullied. I, um, you know, I was in an abusive relationship for sure. Um, at, at some point in, in my life when I was a little bit younger and that was really tough. But, um, you know, when you're going through something, as difficult for me as an eating disorder. And the one thing you don't want to do is admit that you have it for people to think that you have it and to make fun of you makes you even go into a shell more and not deal with the situation at hand that you really need to get help with. And so it took me about five years to come clean to someone that I had an eating disorder. And that was probably the darkest days of my life were those, those five years dealing with that. I can only imagine dealing with something as horrible as an eating disorder on your own, not telling anyone, and then having people on top of you having to be an abusive relationship, people make fun. That just adds into a a recipe that's not good. And thankfully, you found a way to the other end. So getting past that, tell me, Daryl, what did Hall of Fame coach Mark Schubert do for your career? Oh, Mark's awesome. So he was my first um, Olympic coach, and I moved away from home to train with him, um, in 1983, 84 for the 84 Olympics, my first Olympics. And he was kind of known as a hard ass, like very much a hard ass. And so when he approached me, uh, we were at this, um, this meeting for in Southern California where coaches and I was the athlete representative for Southern California. And they had like, there, and there were referees there and all these people. And so I would go and, and he passed me a note one time and said, Hey, I heard you're moving away from home to train, you know, out in Florida. And I was like, yeah, why? And he's like, well, why don't you just stay closer to home and come train with me? And I was like, yeah, I, I don't know. You know, you're a distance coach and I'm a sprinter. So I don't think that's going to work out. Well, he's like, no, no, we have a great new sprint program, blah, blah, blah. So um, I did it. And he convinced me, he convinced my dad, who I thought would be the toughest one to convince. And uh, I moved away from home, trained with his team, which was the number one team in the nation, the Mission Viejo Natadores in uh, Southern California. And it was the biggest team I've ever, ever been on. And it was so much fun just having like, I mean, there must've been, I want to say 10 kids in a lane in a 50 meter pool in an eight, 10 lane pool. There are a lot of us in there and we were all training for the same goal, which was to make the Olympic team. Um, and also kids from different countries. And it was just, it was really a lot of fun. And Mark is, um, a very tough coach, but you have to know how to talk to him and, you know, just sort of approach him. And I learned that as I sort of got older, he ended up being my coach in 2008 at, at the Olympic games. Cause my actual coach who trained me uh, was sick and, and was in the hospital. And so Mark was on the, was one of the coaches on the Olympic team and he was my like coach there. And it was really fun to be reunited with him again and to be under his, his supervision and just doing it at a different age with him than I was when I was, you know, 
16, 17 years old compared to 41 years old. So it was a lot different. And I think there was a lot of respect as we did this at an older age. Do you remember when the Olympics first became a goal for you? Yes, I I remember vaguely about the Olympics in 76, just, oh, okay, Olympics, whatever. I wasn't really swimming that much then. And then I remember in 80 when they were boycotted uh, and didn't really understand a lot about that. I was only like 12 years old and 11, 12 years old and didn't really understand about that. Um, but then I would say once I broke my first um, American record or world record at 15 was when I was like, okay, yeah, this is what I want to do. And unfortunately, the event that I swam in wasn't known as Olympic event yet. So I had to swim a little longer distance. So what I, my best event was a 50 and I had to swim hundred. So um, I had to train a little bit differently for that. But yeah, I would say I was about, it's probably two years before the Olympic games in 84 is when I really decided I wanted to go for the Olympic games. How does one such as yourself with so much success in a pool and swimming, learn to focus once you're in the water? Um, I think you do that in your training. I mean, if you've ever seen a swim workout uh, and the hours that it takes to be the best that you can be and focusing in a water. I mean, when you're, when you're stopped at the end of a pool and you can sit there and be with your teammates, but most of the time your face is underwater and you're staring at a black line and you're concentrating on what you're doing for hours upon hours, upon days, upon days, months and months and years and years. And so you learn how to focus. It's, it's probably one of the, um, top sports that I think focus just comes to you because you're forced to do that. Makes complete sense. 1984 was your first Olympics in LA. You won your first Olympic medal at age 17, the gold in the four by 100 meter freestyle relay. What was it like for you competing, not just in front of the big crowd that was on hand, but in front of the entire world to watch what, how did you control those nerves knowing there's just not a massive people here, but the entire world is watching me. Yeah, it kind of got to me in my first race. I had to swim the prelims of the relay. And um, I think when you go to a swim meet before the Olympic Games and you're looking at the crowd, it's usually your teammates, your parents, and that's about it. So you're lucky if you have 200 people there. When you go to the Olympic Games and my first Olympics, obviously got, the crowd got bigger and bigger as I got older. But uh, my first Olympic Games were probably 10,000 people there. I remember like just peeking in just to see what the crowd looked like. And I freaked out. Like I was in a panic. I was sweating. I had to go to the nurse's tent. They had to put like ice packs on me. And then I remember walking out and swimming my event and I just, I was miserable and I swam super slow and was not happy. And there was a chance and, and they don't normally do this because if you place in the top four Olympic trials, those top four automatically swim at the finals at night, but there's always a couple alternates that go. And they were talking about putting an alternate in replacement of me because I swam so slow. Um, but I guess they just figured that just to leave it to me and I would figure it out. And I did, and I did my fastest relay split in the finals that night and was able to go a lot a lot faster, but it was a, a very big eye-opening experience to me to go from 200 people to 10,000 people watching you and then seeing that the cameras on the tracks and the red lights on and all the um, automatic cameras like flashing. And, you know, it's just, it was a lot for a 17 year old who'd never experienced anything like that before. What changed for you to turn that performance <clears throat> from where you were at the beginning to the finals? 
Um, you know, so there was a girl on the team who had gotten fifth. So she was an alternate in the Hunter Freestyle Olympic trials. And she was my idol. Her name is Jill Sturkel. And um, she was the one who would have replaced me. And she actually like took me under her wing and made me do puzzles in our dorm room, had me watching soap operas, which I'd never watched before. All the ABC <laughs> soap operas, like One Life to Live, you know, all my children. And that was the first time I ever got hooked on soap operas. She knew like all the characters in them and just really got my mind off of it. And then when they decided to put me on the team, which again, she's the one who would have replaced me. Um, you know, looking back in retrospect, I realized what she was doing and I realized what sportsmanship that was. And she even became more my idol, you know, for doing that. And there was a couple of other things that happened a couple of years after that, where she really just has such tremendous sportsmanship and um, someone I really looked up to in, in the sport. That's awesome. You earned 28 NCAA All-American Swimming Awards. You were to the University of Florida. You received your degree in communications. What made you choose to be a Gator? And who was it between them and who else? So um, I really was looking at Stanford, USC, UT for Texas and Florida. And um, there was an early commitment. So myself and this other girl named Jenna Johnson were the top number one recruits in the country coming out of our senior year. And she had already committed to Stanford, like early committal. So that was out. And plus it's like, I really want to do all that studying and you know, that hard <laughs> schoolwork. And I didn't even know if I'd get in with my SAT score. So, but that was, I was looking at that school. My dad would have been thrilled if I'd gone there. Then it came down to USC, which um, I, my senior year, when I got back to Beverly Hills, I was training with a USC coach. Um, he was a little bit older and that was a school I really wanted to go to, but I thought, you know what, do I want to be that close to home? And what if this coach doesn't stay all four years? Like I want a coach who's going to tell me he's going to stay all four years. And so that was kind of out. Then it came down to UT and UF and my dad's like, you're not going to Texas. And I'm like, okay. And I don't know why I have no, I don't, he never explained why, but um, you know, so I wasn't going to Texas. So really it was about my coach, Randy Reese, convincing my dad to have me go to uh, UF and Randy Reese is very smooth. Um, and knows what he's doing. And um, I went on a recruiting trip while they were on their taper, which means that they weren't really doing a lot of yardage. So I'm like, I didn't really like put two and two together. They were getting ready for the NCAAs and they were tapering. And I was like, oh, I could do these workouts. They look pretty easy. <laughs> and um, and he convinced my dad. I'm like, you know what? I want to go to UF. It's cross country. They have a great journalism school there. And I really like the fact that they made you do on-air work, both behind the camera and front of the camera in order to graduate. Um, you know, that was important to me and I, it looked like a great team and I loved how the men and women trained together, which you don't see that a lot at different colleges. Usually there's a men's team and a women's team. This was a combined team. And I really liked that a lot too. So those are kind of my underlying uh, reasons why I decided to go to UF. How was it hard? Was it then for you to finish your degree with all the competition and swimming that you were doing? Uh, so what happened was my junior year, uh, in the summer was uh, the 88 Olympics. And those Olympics actually weren't in the summer, I think, because their seasons are different than ours. So they had them like September, beginning of October. So since school started in August, we missed that whole semester. Like we couldn't like do, they didn't have like computers. You could do work online like you do now, you know, so they basically wouldn't let us go to school that semester. So 
Uh, we finished the Olympics. I, th- I want to say it was the beginning of October. And then we're off for a couple of months until that next semester. So I was on the four and a half year plan anyway, which meant it was five years because I missed that semester. So, um, uh, you know, it, it really wasn't so difficult for me to be able to finish school being on the four and a half year plan. I also got a, a minor in education, which was kind of fun. And I was able to play volleyball my last year because my eligibility was up in, in swimming. So I don't know, like I said, I think what we talked about earlier was when you sport can really help you learn how to do time management and focus and just, you know, get your goals. And so if I'm still doing something like I was volleyball it helped me able to organize my life and my studies and stuff to be able to graduate. What drove you to always want to be better? I still do. <laughs> it's not like it's gone. Maybe, maybe it never leaves. <laughs> um, you know, it's just, it's, I'm never satisfied. And I think, I think you could ask most elite athletes that, what drives them is that they're not satisfied. Like, cause if you become satisfied, you become complacent and you don't, um, you don't train as hard as you can. You don't set your goals. And so I've never been complacent in my life. And I think that's what drives me. On top of that, then how does one that has such a fire to be competitive and a drive stay grounded? Um, you know, I grew up in Beverly Hills and I went to an all girls prestigious private school where like Sally Ride graduated and all these famous, um, all these famous um, like actors and actresses, kids uh, would go to that school. And so it was a very prestigious school. And I, I don't know, I just, I never wanted to get caught up in the Beverly Hills thing or being with the people who, you know, are best known and, you know, and it just was never me. So, and and my parents were very grounded. My dad was uh, a very um, successful realtor in Las Vegas, had a ton of acts that would go to his, um, his hotels and perform. And Dean Martin was my brother's godfather. And so like, I was around all that, but they were very grounded. So it made us very grounded. It just, it was never important for me to be involved with all that stuff. Like I liked my friends who lived in East LA and Culver city and not from Beverly Hills. And it just, I know that's how I've always been. And I always feel like you should always treat people equal. Um, if someone maybe hasn't accomplished as much as you have, it doesn't mean you're better than them. Um, it just means that they're best at doing what they do and I'm best at doing it what I do. And so I've always been very um, persistent about treating people equal. And so I think that's kept me grounded. I think that shows through all the interviews that I have watched with you and stuff I've read. It, it, it shows through is why I asked the question for sure. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm blushing. <laughs> Today's show is being brought to you by Reflection Bay Golf Club, located in the heart of beautiful Lake Las Vegas. Go to ReflectionBayGolf.com. That's ReflectionBayGolf.com. It's a top 100 course that the public can play. It's a Jack Nicklaus prestige signature design that played host to the Wendy's three-tour challenge from 1998 to 2007. Dara, next time you're in town, uh, I understand you hit the links a little bit. Let me know. Be more than happy to take you out there. Be a guest of mine, and we'll play the course. Sounds good. I'm competitive though. So watch out. I hear. (laughs) Let me ask you this question. When did you start to look at life without the Olympics? Um, I guess every time I retired, um, 
you know, my first retirement came when I graduated college and uh, I got the itch again, like a year later um, and decided to make a comeback. Then I retired in 92. I thought, okay, this is it. Uh, you know, you don't really see at that point I was, I was out of college and I had gone for the 92 Olympics and you don't really see many uh, athletes that are, have graduated college, you know, competing, they really would go get jobs. And so that's what I did. I moved to New York, didn't do anything for, you know, any kind of swimming or anything for seven years was working, doing TV work and some modeling, and then got the itch again before um, the 2000 Olympics and thought about the Olympics again. And then after those, I'm like, okay, I'm really done. I'm 33. I'm like an old woman. I can't do this anymore. And then got the itch again before 08. So it was like, it would come and go. It wasn't like there was one period where I'm just like done. And I, I think the, if you're asking where it's like completely done, I would have to say when I tried for 2012 at 45 and I missed the team by nine one hundredths of a second, um, that's when I was, there was nothing in me that thought, okay, I'm going to do this again. It was like, uh, it's like a relief almost like I'm done. And in fact, I remember my mom and my daughter were crying. My daughter was six. I won't say how old my mom was, but um, they were at the Olympic trials and they both were crying when I didn't make the team. And I was okay. I was like relieved. And um, I had to go over and console them. And my mom was crying because she felt bad for me and really wanted me to make it. My daughter was crying because she thought she couldn't meet Michael Phelps and Ryan Lochte, cause I didn't make the team. So <laughs> there were two different things I was dealing with, but, um, you know, it, uh, that was probably when I really was done, done thinking about the Olympic games. For the 2000 Sydney, when you came out of retirement after seven years out of competition, you became the oldest woman to win an Olympic swimming medal. I know the fire was still burning there, but what was the aha moment that turned that up a notch and went, all right, I'm doing this. Um, so I feel like, you know, the stories behind this, and you just want me to tell it. <laughs> My listeners need to hear it. <laughs> um, but I, cause I, I see the way you word the questions. I'm like, oh, okay. So, um, I was out to dinner with some friends in 90, the summer of 99. And then, and you know, NBC or whoever's hosting the Olympic games that next year, they always do little tidbits or they have those little Olympic rings at the bottom of the screen for every show. And, um, we were just out to dinner talking about it and, uh, they said, you know, have you ever thought about making a comeback? I'm like, I'm 32 years old. There's no way that that would ever happen. And after they, after they said that, um, I couldn't get the thought out of my head. I was dreaming about it every night. I was, you know, running in the central park. I was living in New York. So I was running in central park and, and racing people. And I'm like, what am I doing? You know? And so I ended up calling this coach out at Stanford and named Richard quick. And he had coached older athletes before. And so I said, well, what do you think? He's like, well, I think it's a great idea. And, um, and so he went and talked to his team to make sure they were okay with it. Cause it, you know, most of them are college kids and a couple post-college graduates, but just make sure it was okay to have me come out there. And he got the okay from them. And I, and I moved out a year before, um, the Olympic trials was, actually was 11 months before Olympic trials. And I had not touched, touched the water in seven years. So, um, a lot of things had changed at that point with the stroke, the technology, the goggles, the caps, the pools, like everything was different, but it was, um, it was, a, a an eye-opening experience, but it was really a lot of fun for me. And I, I don't know if this happened. I'm guessing it did, but did people say to you, what are you doing? You're too old to do this in any of your comebacks? Oh yeah. In 2000 and in 2000, especially 2008, but in 2000 for sure. And, you know, I had a, a strength coach who was really into the more weight you lift, the stronger you'll be in the water. 
And so that's what his philosophy was. So we were bench pressing like 200 pounds, 205 pounds doing squats and like all these crazy. So I got really big, like my body type is thin, but I can get muscle on really quickly. My brother's like that. It's just our genetics. And, um, and so I was like 160, 161. I'd never been that big before. And it actually, it was good, but it was also bad because I felt really heavy in the water too. Um, and, uh, but in, 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 um, and so people couldn't believe, oh, like, wow, like she's really getting big. And how is she doing this at 33? But then the real talk started to happen in 08 after I had my child, um, I was 41 years old and people are like, there's no way she's doing this without cheating somehow. And, um, you know, my philosophy was, well, if Nolan Ryan can pitch a no hitter at 44 years old and Jack Nicholas can, uh, win a master's at 46, why can't a 41 year old mom, you know, train for the Olympic games. So that was my philosophy, but I knew that I had to sort of do something different. So I had gotten back into training a little less than two years before the game. So I had a little more time this time around than in 2000. And so after the first year, I, I, I went to summer nationals and I did really well. And my coach was taking myself on another summer to Colorado Springs to, to the Olympic training center to do some altitude training and testing there. And so we decided to meet up with the head of USADA, who is, his name's Travis Tiger and USADA is the U S anti-doping agency. And he's the one who actually brought Lance Armstrong down and um, we met with him and said, look, you know, there's talk going around that I'm not doing this the right way. Test me any way you want, blood, hair, urine, whatever you want to do. Keep it for as long as you want. Like, just test me. I want to show everyone I'm doing this right. And so um, about four months later, they started this program and they took um, about two elite athletes from each sport. So for swimming, it was myself and Michael Phelps. And in, in January of 08, so about six months before trials, they took uh, about 38 vials of blood uh, within like three weeks and created a base and then came and did random testing whenever. And blood is the most specific, I think, that you can really tell if someone's cheating. Um, and so they, they, and they kept, I mean, they probably still have the vials because what happens is if sometimes the cheaters get ahead of the testers. So if they keep the blood samples for, or the urine samples too, for, for many, many years, and they can catch up with the cheaters with what they're doing, they can retest the blood. And you've probably heard of some athletes that um, got banned from the next Olympics because after Olympic games, they ended up testing pot, they retested their samples and they tested positive. So, you know, that's really when people start saying, oh, there's no way she's doing that. She's got to be doing this the wrong way. But, you know, I really just use it as fuel. When people would say negative things, I don't talk about it. I just train harder and try to show them that, I'm doing it the right way and that I'm as good as I, I can be because I'm doing it the right way. What were your feelings making the Olympics at age 41 versus 17? So that's a great, God, you, you must be an interviewer. You asked the best questions. <laughs> Thank um, you. So uh, it was much different at 17. I really was just this sort of punk kid bouncing off the walls and in awe. I mean, Michael Jordan was there and Patrick Ewing and Mary Lou Retton. And it was just like, oh my God, not really realizing, oh wait, I'm in this too, you know? And, um, and fast forward to 41, then I'm walking into the, to the, um, the cube, which was the swimming stadium and thanking all the workers there, even though they didn't speak English, I had no idea what I was saying, but like so appreciative of everyone volunteering and just so ecstatic to be back at the Olympic Games and just so thankful and grateful. So I definitely saw things much differently through the eyes of a 41 year old than I did through the eyes of a 17 year old. That makes complete sense because at 17, your brain's not fully developed and 
right. you're, you're just bouncing all over and you appreciate things more as you get a little bit older. So that makes exactly. complete sense. One question I do have is when you were pregnant, you did not stop training. You did not stop working out for your entire nine month pregnancy. Did you get criticism from people saying that you should not be training or swimming throughout this entire t- term? Okay. So there's a misconception because I wasn't training. I was swimming to feel better because I was miserable during my pregnancy. I literally was vomiting for almost the entire pregnancy. And when I would, I wasn't swimming at the time when I got pregnant and I'd go to the gym and I'd get so sick in the gym. People were like, what are you doing here? Like you're sick. You know, they didn't know I was pregnant because I wasn't showing yet. And so I was trying to find something to do where it wasn't a big deal. And I thought, wow, if I go back and swim, I can throw up in the gutter and no one sees me and I just keep going and it's not a big deal. So that's really why I got back in swimming. Also, as I got bigger, she was really pushing on my ribs and bruising me. And it just being in the water, she kind of shifted around and just, it just made me feel better. So I I was swimming with a master's team, just doing a little bit of, of training, but it was really just to do something and not use the excuse. Oh, well, I have a baby. I can't do anything. And one of the things the doctor said, as long as you don't get your heart rate up too high, then your baby's heart rate won't get up too high and you should be okay. So, so I really wasn't training. I was just trying to feel better. Although I did swim the day I delivered. Um, but that, I don't know. I just had to get another workout. (laughs) (laughs) I get that. I don't like days off. Today's my days off and I'm not, it's, I'm not a good day. (laughs) You wrote two books. Age is just a number. Achieve your dreams at any stage in your life. And the gold medal fitness, a revolutionary five week program. Where do the ideas come for to put these together? So the first one was I had no desire to write a book. And my agent, after I made the Olympic team, even before the Olympic Games, book companies were calling and they wanted to share my story. And and I was like, do I really want to do this? And then my agent was like, look, Dara, there's so many people out there that you can affect and really help with your story. I thought, you know what? He was right. And so we got a ghostwriter and we're able to write that. Uh, Liz Wheel was the ghostwriter. She had written the New York Times Magazine article on me. So she knew me really well. So we wrote that together. And then, um, and, and so that was the inspiration for that. And then a year later, we did Gold Medal Fitness not with Liz, but with a different author. And that was because people wanted to know what I was doing. Like, what kind of training are you doing at your age to be able to do this? What are you eating? How are you, what are you like doing in the gym? And I thought, you know what? It, I, I'm not afraid to share what I'm doing. Um, I don't care if people take my ideas. Like that's the whole point is to make everyone better at what they're doing and to be able to share what I'm doing, because I'm not one of those people that's like, Ooh, I'm going to keep it a secret. Like, you know, everything, all the stretching I did, I did at swim meets, like on the pool deck, like everyone saw what I was doing. It wasn't a secret. And so I'm like, if people want to ask me and see what I'm doing, I'd love to help them and make them better. It, It doesn't bother me. And so because so many people were asking me about, and it wasn't just the athletes, it was just everyday people, like older people, my age wanted to know what I was doing. So that was the inspiration to be able to share the team that was working with me to share what they were doing to make me the best that I can be. Check out the show notes. I'll put links to both books and those for listeners. If you want to check them out and get your hands on them, I will make sure I'll get you a link to that. In 2016, you were the Olympic Goodwill Ambassador How did you feel about going back and being an ambassador in competition now for the Olympics, at least for you, is done? Well, I think the fact that in 2012, I was actually really done and I had no like ill feelings, like, do I still want to do this or anything? It made it a lot easier and nicer to be a part of the Olympic movement in a different way 
facet than, than always being an athlete. I mean, trust me, you don't have the perks of being the athlete. You get all the awesome USA Olympic clothes and you, you know, get to go to the other events for free and all that stuff is sort of taken away, but it's so nice to be able to give back in a different capacity with a sport that you've been involved with your whole entire life. How do you feel about being a role model to others when they look up at all your achievements and they're able to see what you did and go, that's who I want to be like. Um, you know, it's, it doesn't happen so much with the young kids because I was so much older. Um, you know, when the kids, when young kids coming up and it was more the parents (laughs) that I, I think I maybe affected because, you know, how did she, be able to balance being a brand new parent to a, a infant to training for the Olympic team. Like, how did she do the time management with that? How did she, you know, how did she not have guilt? And so I actually really look to working parents out there as my inspiration to be able to know that it's okay to do your work. And for me, my work was swimming, even though I loved it. Um, you know, some people like work, some people don't like work, but my, my work was swimming and, and I loved it. And I had to find a balance that worked best for me and worked for my daughter and still know that when I was off training and my daughter was with, you know, the, the sitter or whatever, she's still going to be a great kid. And I'm still going to be a great mom to her. And I had to, it took a while to get over that guilt. Trust me, a long time to get over that guilt, especially going away to swim meets and I couldn't bring her because it just would have been too much of a distraction with her being so little. Um, so it, it really helped me to talk and look to working parents as my inspiration for that. Looking back at your entire career, what are you most proud of? Um, you know, I think everyone expects it to be, oh yeah, this medal at this Olympic Games with this world record, but it really isn't to me. And, and if you'd asked me this when I was 21, the answer probably would have been much different. But looking back on everything, to me, um, the most rewarding part is when you're able to make a comeback And you know that you gave it everything you had and you put it all on the line, not knowing what's going to happen. It's the road that took you there to be the best that you can be at that age. And that to me was the most rewarding was learning about myself, what it took to be the best I can be and what I had to do um, more so than the Olympic medals, I would say. So just the longevity of being in the sport. That makes complete sense. Have you ever looked back or maybe looked forward, I should say, not back, but look forward and go, maybe one day I'll try and be some sort of a coach with the Olympics? You know, I, I, I thought about it and that thought went away very quickly. <laughs> I, I, I know what it's like to coach and those coaches are incredible human beings to deal with so many different personalities, so many different body types, so many different, like, just, just people that you have to train and everyone's so different. And, um, I don't know if I would have, I mean, I know a lot obviously about the sport and, and I've learned a lot about my body and what it took to be the best that I can be, but I don't know if I, how I would feel if I trained someone and did something wrong and couldn't make them be the best that I can be. And that kind of guilt, I just, I don't think I can live with myself. And so, for me, it's about going to different teams and doing swim clinics and giving talks and trying to give back that way rather than being a coach. You ever take a look, maybe stop, look at your medals, go back memory lane, reflect a little bit, smile and went, you know what? I was pretty awesome at one time. 
No. <laughs> I, you know, I'm always though the type of person I've always have thought, okay, what's tomorrow? What am I doing tomorrow? What am I doing the next week? I, I never look back. I mean, every now and then when I give talks, I'll bring the medals or someone asks me to, you know, show them different things and, and, you know, if stuff I've accomplished or the SB or whatever it is. And, um, when they start talking about it and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess that is pretty cool. But I never, ever think about it myself. Um, you know, my daughter, I don't think for a couple of years, like didn't even know like what I did or, I mean, even she did a, a story on me, I think, uh, for class last year, she's like, mom, I didn't know that. And I didn't know, you know, I just don't, I don't talk about things, you know, and it's just, um, I've, I've never been that type to do that. And I just feel like I'm always a move forward, not look back type of person. What type of words of wisdom do you have to young athletes that have inspirations to be an Olympian, regardless of what sport they're in? I think the biggest thing is learn how to communicate with your coach because when you're young, you have a tendency not to talk to your coaches because you look at them sort of in a different light. And um, I, one of the things that I did that I think on some hand made some, some um, athletes jealous or some teammates jealous is I always had good rapport with my coaches. Uh, and um, that helped me a lot. And, or I would stay after workout and do extra stuff with the coaches, like work on my starts, work on my turns. Like, so the, so that's one thing is to communicate well with your coaches. And, um, the other thing is to mix it up a little bit. Like we spoke about earlier is, is try different things. Don't just do the same thing over and over and over again, because trust me, you're going to get bored and you're going to get burned out. Dara, thanks so much for taking time out of your schedule and being on the show. This has been fun. Thank you. For show notes, go to the website, beforethelightspod.com. Click on the episode page. I will have links there. If you want to become a sponsor, contact me, beforethelightspod at gmail.com. That's beforethelightspod at gmail.com. Would love to talk to you about becoming a sponsor. Follow us on Instagram at beforethelightspodcast. Thank you for listening to Before the Lights. I'm Tommy Canale. And until next time, everybody, a salute, a chin chin. <laughs>